This is The Guardian. Today, the fallout from Dominic Raab's bullying scandal. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. The allegations around Dominic Raab had been swirling for months. Is Dominic Raab a bully? Are you? No. You're confident in that? Yes. As the country's Deputy Prime Minister and Justice Secretary, Dominic Raab maintained that he was unconcerned when an independent inquiry was launched into his behaviour. I'm confident that I behave professionally. 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 Professionally throughout. The report by Casey Adam Tolley was published on Thursday. He looked at eight complaints made against Raab, involving 24 people and spanning four years as a cabinet minister. His report found Raab, in some instances, to be persistently aggressive and that his conduct also involved an abuse or misuse of power in a way that undermines or humiliates. By Friday, Raab was gone. Dominic Raab has resigned as Deputy Prime Minister and Justice Secretary, but has criticised... For Rishi Sunak to lose his Deputy Prime Minister is a huge deal. He's lost a close political ally. But he didn't go quietly. Raab claimed that the conclusions were flawed, that the report's definition of bullying set a dangerous precedent and that he never intended to upset anyone. That prompted a lot of people on the Tory right saying, is this actually bullying? Surely this is just holding civil servants to account, being robust. People need to be able to say this job has not been done well enough and needs to be done better. I I do worry that we are getting a bit snowflakey about this. But the complaints were upheld for a reason. According to recent reports, some of the complainants were physically sick. One says they were left suicidal. How would he feel if one of his friends... The Guardian's political editor, Pippa Crera, spoke to multiple civil servants when she reported on Raab's conduct. His behaviour fell short of the high standards that a minister is supposed to display. It's okay to be demanding and to expect the very best from your employees, whether they're civil servants or otherwise. It's not okay to be intimidating or aggressive or to belittle them, as Dominic Raab was found to do. So what now for those working in government? And what do Rishi Sunak's loyal allies tell us about the Prime Minister's own judgment? From The Guardian, I'm Nashi Iqbal. Today in Focus, bullying politicians or snowflake civil servants, the downfall of Dominic Raab. Pippa Crera, you're The Guardian's political editor. 
and you broke the original story which first outlined the accusations of bullying made against Dominic Raab, who was at the time Deputy Prime Minister and who was also being imposed as Foreign Secretary, Justice Secretary under this government. He was even briefly in charge of the country when Boris Johnson was ill. So it's fair to say that he is a big deal, a big beast, as they're known. Can you tell me first about the nature of these bullying accusations and what you found the most shocking? So I first heard about these allegations back in the middle of November last year when I spoke to sources in government who told me that senior civil servants at the Ministry of Justice, where Dominic Raab was then in charge, had been offered respite or a route out of the department when he returned. And he had previously been Justice Secretary under Boris Johnson. And the feeling with the department was at the time that so many staff were still so traumatised by his previous experience, his previous time there, that they were you know, really unhappy about the idea of him coming back. And the permanent secretary in the department, Antonio Romeo, we reported, had a word with him and basically reminded him of the standards that would be expected of him. And what really surprised me was how widespread these sorts of fears and concerns were within the civil service, that it wasn't just sort of one or two people. There was a sort of a general sense that he had created a really difficult culture by virtue of his behaviour in the Ministry of Justice. And there were lots of individuals with specific examples of how he treated them and made them feel. And it was things like belittling and undermining people, uh, interrupting them and dismissing them in meetings, leaving people feeling really fearful about approaching him, about being alone with him, being quite aggressive towards them verbally. And there was tears I was told at that first meeting when people were given this sort of route out of the department. Several officials in the Secretary of State's private office were given the option to move roles when Mr Raab was reappointed last month. These were policy officials who would deal with them day to day on everything from prisons to the court system, but also officials in private office who are the people that day to day kind of put his documents together for him and run his diary and get stuff done. Then I started speaking to people in other departments as well that he'd worked in, the Brexit department and the Foreign Office, and found sort of heard similar stories. People being pushed to the point where they signed off sick. One case where somebody had contemplated taking their own life, they felt so stressed and anxious about work. And none of this really came out in the report that was published at the end of this inquiry because there was a need to keep civil servants' names out of it and for them to be anonymous. And some of those details would have identified them. Dominic Raab is, was a key ally for Rishi Sunak, and he was a very bullish supporter for his leadership campaign. Notably, he was rewarded for that loyalty. And yet just three weeks into Sunak's premiership, the prime minister was forced to announce an investigation into Dominic Raab. That report was delivered last week. What did it find? So Rishi Sunak when these official complaints came in, appointed a guy called Adam Tolley, who's a KC and a barrister, an employment expert, to look into the facts of the case. He wasn't supposed to be ruling on whether Rob had broken the ministerial code. It was literally supposed to be establishing the facts. And that's what he then spent the next three or four months doing. So the main finding was that Dominic Raab had bullied civil servants. He never tried this on me, but in the private office of junior officials, he put the fear of God into them. They were nervous about going into meetings with him because they feared having strips torn off them or an unpleasant encounter. His was the worst behaviour I have ever seen. The way he would treat people, 
belittle people, interrogate people, ignore people. He created an awful atmosphere. It was coercive behaviour. He had people in tears after coming out of his office, but they wouldn't want to complain. They saw it as professional pride, just to cope with it. He wouldn't shout, but he'd be so angry. Quiet fury. The vein would be pumping on his head, and he would look like he was about to explode. And the report looked into these three departments, the Brexit Department, the Foreign Office, and the Ministry of Justice. Most of the complaints were from his most recent roles. Adam Tolley found that the complaints that were made from his time as Brexit Secretary were too long ago, and there wasn't enough evidence to be able to really stand them up. But there was detail from both the Foreign Office and the Ministry of Justice, which he found fitted the definition, if you like, of what constitutes bullying. So for two of those three departments that were being looked at, he upheld those bullying complaints. And there was a long waiting game on Thursday after the Prime Minister received the report and no statement was made on Dominic Raab's future. Can you understand from reading it why Rishi Sunak delayed making an immediate response? When we spoke to people in Downing Street on Thursday, there was a suggestion that obviously it was a long report and that the Prime Minister wanted to be able to read it fully and think about it. He spoke to Tolly himself to kind of fill in the gaps, if you like. And he also spoke to his new ethics advisor, Sir Laurie Magnus, to get a, a sort of a guide on whether the ministerial code had been broken. And all of those things take time. Because of the way the report was written and because it was a fact-finding exercise rather than a ruling whether he'd broken the ministerial code, it was definitely the case that it possibly wasn't as black and white as people might have expected it to be and that there wasn't a silver bullets that he would have looked at and said he absolutely categorically has to go. Because at the same time, he was getting some pressure from people internally in Number 10 that wanted him to save Dominic Raab, primarily because Raab was such a close ally and his deputy. And to be seen to lose your deputy then raises all sorts of questions about your own judgment, about why you appointed them in the first place, and crucially, whether you knew in advance that his behaviour was difficult before you made the decision to put him in post. But is there a sense that the Prime Minister might also have given this sort of extra little bit of time for Dominic Raab to try and control the narrative or take back control, as the Tories like to say? Absolutely. And that's something which has upset quite a lot of people on the civil service side of things, that Raab was given the report on Thursday. He had 24 hours to read through it and to sort of think about his response. He penned a thousand word article for the Daily Telegraph, setting out his side. He rejected its findings, even though he'd said he would quit if it found against him. And he did do that. He didn't accept that his behavior had constituted bullying. Even by the time we got to Friday, our sources were telling us that the report would be published after lunch. And yet there was Dominic Raab straight onto Twitter with his resignation letter first thing, again, getting ahead of the story. Did a media round straight afterwards, was on all the broadcasters. This amounted to bullying. And I strongly believe if the threshold for bullying is so lowered that uh, uh, picking people up on bad work, uh, straightening out a negotiation where breach of a cabinet set mandate has been taken place, changing teams so we get the very best out of negotiations, so we deliver on victims' parole, uh, human rights reform. If we can't do those things, then ultimately it will be the public that pay the price. Spoke to various newspapers. It was very much putting his side out before even the report was published. And then when the report was published, of course, the problem civil servants have is that, by definition, they can't speak out publicly. They're impartial. 
they're not allowed to have a public say. So there was nobody putting the other side of the story, which I know from some of the complainants felt quite difficult, not being able to redress the balance and to put their side of what had happened and to push back at some of the claims, erroneous in their view, that Dominic Raab was making. It's interesting because, of course, Rishi Sunak allowed him that space and time, presumably knowing that he would do exactly that. He'd get out on the front foot and to try and sort of mitigate some of the damage that the report was then going to do. And I think that raises real questions about where Rishi Sunak's loyalties lie. Was it with this one discredited and disgraced minister or was it with the thousands of civil servants that worked day in, day out to deliver on the government's agenda? Well, Raab has in the past claimed that none of the allegations were raised with him privately and that he was surprised that his behaviour was even considered in any way problematic. Pippa, what have we learnt about the culture of the various departments that operated under him? Well, I think what's really interesting is that Raab has denied that he was told and yet the report found that each of the three permanent secretaries, which is the top official in each of the three departments that he ran, had uh, on different occasions required to sit down with him and say, look, you need to moderate your behaviour. This behaviour isn't acceptable. The way you're treating staff, the way you're behaving in meetings. None of them used the B word, the bullying word, but they did warn him about his behaviour. And what Tolly revealed in his report is that Dominic Raab denied that he had been warned about how he had been acting. But Tolly spoke to the permanent secretaries and said that he believed them over Dominic Raab. The fact that he was warned and yet didn't moderate his behaviour, didn't change his behaviour, it sort of fits in with the whole thing about him believing that he wasn't doing anything wrong, that that sort of behaviour was actually entirely normal. It wasn't until the official inquiry began that actually he did change his behaviour. He realised actually he was going to have to start acting differently. So he clearly had the capacity to change it if he needed to. He'd just chosen not to previously. But as you said, you know, he published his resignation letter and it's fair to say he didn't go quietly. He didn't accept the findings. He didn't really apologise. And then the round of interviews and articles that he has authored since have been defiant, is one word. Can you tell me what his top line seems to be and what he thinks has happened here? Defiant is one word, angry is another. I mean, it's been a quite remarkable response, hasn't it? And in some ways, it kind of underlines this sort of character of the man. And I think actually, if anything, gives more credence to the claimants by the very nature of his response, both the angry tone, but also the denial and the refusal to accept he's done anything wrong. He said sorry if people felt stressed out by him being a demanding boss expecting the best from him. He didn't actually apologise for the bullying behaviour at all. So he launched this whole tirade about the activist civil service to suggest that they were out to try and block the government and not to deliver on their key priorities. And he claimed that the report showed that actually there was a very low threshold for bullying. And he's in denial, basically, about his behaviour, is my take on it all. And he clearly feels that the report has made life more difficult for people like himself who are only, in his view, pushing civil servants for the sake of the the good of the country rather than actually bullying them as individuals. But also he clearly thinks that the civil service is out to get him. And this kind of taps into a new sort of conflict between the civil service and some of the Tory right who feel that they are a sort of homogenous, left-leaning group who uh, don't want to deliver on their agenda when their take on it all would have been that that's their job to challenge and question ministers, he saw it as obstruction. And I think he he's kind of fallen into this almost sort of like conspiracy theory that the civil service is out to get the government. 
when I think most reasonably minded people would see that that couldn't be further from the truth. And what about the civil servants who are affected by all of this? I mean, you've said that they can't officially talk to the press and mount the pushback, but what have they been telling you privately and what do they make of this characterisation that some of them operate more like activists and are blocking government reforms? There's definitely a degree of frustration and they do sort of push back on his characterisation of them trying to sort of block and stymie his actions and also on his characterization of them and, and it's not just him really actually it's other conservatives suggesting that you know the snowflake civil servants and so on a point which the report itself absolutely rejects saying that these are very experienced long-standing civil servants who are used to dealing with ministers across the spectrum so there's frustration some anger but ultimately there's a sense of relief because it's been a really difficult process from the point they put in their official complaints onwards they've and had to talk to this inquiry. Dominic Rubb knows who they are. And yet many of them still worked in the Ministry of Justice with them day to day to day. So I think the fact that that has now reached a fruition and come to an end, they feel the sense of relief. Pippa, this isn't the first time senior members of the Conservatives have been accused of bullying. Gavin Williamson and Priti Patel have both been accused of heinous behaviour against the teams that they worked with. Do you hold the impression that there is a wider pattern or problem within the Conservative Party? I think it's very difficult to draw parallels between different cases of bullying. They're each circumstantially quite separate and the way that the individual ministers behaved was also uh, quite different. So I'd be reluctant to say that there's sort of a pattern of behaviour which is tolerated within the Conservative Party. What is the case is that it's almost a sort of like an end of days feel to this government. The Conservatives have been in power for 13 years. And despite attempts to kind of rewrite the narrative and, and recast themselves as a new administration, it is all the same people in different jobs. With that sort of length of time in power, inevitably, people take risks and possibly behave in ways that they might not otherwise if they felt more that they had something to prove. I think it does create an environment where people's worst excesses can be exhibited. And that's a problem for Rishi Sunak because he's trying to draw a line under the really turbulent, difficult days of Boris Johnson and Liz Truss and show that his government, as he said on outside Downing Street on that first day in office, was going to be one of professionalism, integrity and, and accountability. This government will have integrity, professionalism, and accountability at every level. Trust is earned, and I will earn yours. Coming up, where does Dominic Raab's departure leave Rishi Sunak? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. One line of defence that Raab supporters have used is that, yes, he may have been abrasive, he may have been demanding, but that is the price you pay for high performance in government. Pippa, when you look at Dominic Raab's record across the posts that he's held, Brexit Secretary, Foreign Secretary, Justice Secretary, is there much evidence of high performance and big achievements? I think you just have to look closely at the departments. I mean, he left the Brexit department and I think it's fair to say it was in a bit of a mess at that point. And that's not all down to him, of course, but he certainly didn't pave the way for a great breakthrough in the delivery of Brexit. Again, his experience at the Foreign Office ended in complete failure when he was sacked by Boris Johnson for his handling of the Afghan withdrawal. I mean, you won't forget that he, of course, was on the beach and refusing to come home from his summer holiday when Kabul fell to the Taliban. And then since he's been at the Ministry of Justice, I'm sure there are some areas where people in the sector would say that he's made positive changes. But take one example of where he hasn't. The repatriation rates when it comes to the criminal justice system, the court backlog uh, post-pandemic and uh, some of the situations with probation in the prisons. It's, It's a difficult department. There's lots to get to grips with, but it doesn't feel that he has excelled in any of those departments. And I guess I could just say that other ministers don't behave this way and manage to get things done. And what about Dominic Raab's replacements? What can you tell us about them and why they've been picked? So Alex Chalk is the new Justice Secretary. He is a more moderate figure in every sense of the word, and he's well-liked, he's respected. They think he'll be able to get the job done uh, without some of the antagonism that existed previously. And he's also a loyalist to Rishi Sunak. His deputy prime minister will be Oliver Dowden. I think that would have been anybody's best bet because Dowden is one of a very small handful of Tory MPs that Sunak's very close to and is already in the cabinet office, which kind of fits quite comfortably in terms of proximity to number 10. But it'd be interesting to watch him because he was a Cameronite liberal Tory who under Boris Johnson as culture secretary became culture warrior in chief 
And I'm not sure how much of that was because he was responding to the government at the time in a role that they felt needed to be fulfilled and how much of that actually sat comfortably with him. To me, it feels it's a shame that it's another man with a similar background to Rishi Sunak. I think it could have been an opportunity for him to show that the Conservative Party is broader than a bunch of uh, privately educated men. But no, he decided not to take that opportunity. In the meantime, there have been calls by the Lib Dems specifically for a by-election in Raab's constituency. Dominic Raab has shown he's not fit to be a minister and he's not fit to be an MP either. He should resign and trigger a by-election here in Eastern Walton so people in Eastern Walton can get the MP they deserve. His majority in Surrey stands at just under 3,000. Do you think this could spell the end of his political career or is there still a way back for him? I think that even if none of this had happened, Dominic Raab would be in big trouble at the next election. He works his constituency assiduously. He spends every Friday there precisely because it is marginal. And the reason that he managed to get a 3,000 majority in 2019 was partly because of the feeling in the constituency where the Lib Dems were kind of snapping at his heels that they didn't want Jeremy Corbyn as prime minister. And so... Tories supported Dominic Raab and the Tories rather than being prepared and willing to give the Lib Dems their votes for fear that it might let Jeremy Corbyn's Labour Party in through the middle. That's not going to be a problem this time round. Those same voters don't feel the same way about Keir Starmer as they did about Jeremy Corbyn and therefore might be more willing to back the Lib Dems this time round, potentially depleting that majority even further. And now, if he decides to stand again, then I think he's really facing a huge uphill struggle to retain his seat. Well, Pippa, you would expect Labour to be dominating the narrative here and making real political hay of Raab's resignation. And yet yesterday, the news was dominated by Diane Abbott. Can you tell me what happened? Well, Diane Abbott wrote a letter to The Observer and she suggested that Jewish, Irish and traveller people were not subject to racism all their lives. Obviously, she herself has had Uh, suffered a huge amount of anti-black racism over the course of her career, so knows very much what she's on about there. But the problem was she sort of suggested that there was different categories of racism. And for, well, all those different groups of people whose relatives had uh, experienced the Holocaust, it was just astonishing that she could kind of suggest that they hadn't experienced racism. And she almost immediately apologised and said that they'd sent a draft letter by mistake she was suspended from the Labour whip as a result. And Labour officials are now going to decide uh, with her local party whether she can stand again at the next election. Because obviously the backdrop to all of this is that Keir Starmer has uh, been sort of struggling since the anti-Semitism rise of the Jeremy Corbyn era and to show that the party's moved on from that. So Starmer promised a zero tolerance approach and that's I think what we're seeing with Diane Abbott here. Where do you think this leaves the Labour Party? Because, as you say, it's no secret that Keir Starmer is very keen to break from Jeremy Corbyn's legacy and 200,000 party members have left since he became leader. Abbott very much represents that left wing, the Jeremy Corbyn wing of the party. So how much impact do you think this story will have on Starmer's ability to criticise the government and move the Labour Party forward? He acted very swiftly. He has said there would be zero tolerance And Abbott has apologised. And what I was very struck by is actually how very few people on the left came out to support her. And in fact, some, John Landsman, who founded Momentum, actually came out and criticised her. So I think there's a recognition on the left that her comments were problematic. 
And I suspect that there will be a feeling on the left that she has uh, made a mistake, but immediately owned up to it, and that therefore she should be allowed to be restored the whip and to and to move back on. And Pippa, what about Rishi Sunak and the image of government he's trying to project? I mean, he promised integrity, professionalism and accountability in his first speech as prime minister in October on the steps of Downing Street. And yet he must have been aware of the reputation that Raab had cultivated. Does this saga raise questions about his judgment and his credibility? Yes, absolutely. And I think the point about what he knew is a really important one. Number 10 officials were warned when Raab came in to cover for Boris Johnson when he was ill that he was difficult to work for. Civil servants raised issues in number 10 once Rishi Sunak decided to appoint him as Justice Secretary. Number 10's defence is that there was no official complaint and there was no formal warning to him about some of the potential behaviour. But it definitely raises questions, particularly when it comes after the appointment of Gavin Williamson, who then had to go, of Nadim Zahawi, who then had to go. He's promised integrity, professionalism and accountability on one hand, and yet he's appointed people who make that sort of job of delivering that much harder. And I think what it goes to show is that despite Sunak's obvious attempts to draw on a line under the previous Conservative administrations and show that he can run things differently, and certainly for the last few weeks it's been going pretty well with him with legislation and with the Northern Ireland Protocol, and he looks like somebody that is competent and capable and can get on and deliver things, what this does is once again remind people that the Tory brand has been trashed. It's problematic. And at every turn, the polling suggests that even if his personal ratings are quite strong and are improving all the time, he's being dragged down by the Tory party's ratings more generally. And this is his biggest problem going into the next election. It's not Rishi Sunak the man, it's the Conservative Party brand. And the public increasingly, the polling suggests and the focus group suggests, are reaching a point where they've had enough. Pippa, thank you so much. Thanks very much for having me. That was Pippa Crera, The Guardian's political editor. To follow Pippa's reporting and more from the politics team, do head over to theguardian.com. And that's it for today. I'm Nasheen, and this episode was produced by Klitsia Sala, Ruth Abrahams, and Natalie Hatena. Sound design is by Adam Bransbury. The executive producer was Huma Khalili. We'll be back again tomorrow. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.